Thank you, Lydia. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you also to Mrs. Toole and Daniela. The beautiful music also from all of you. We worship and have great glad tidings of our Savior. And as we rejoice at this Christmas season, much of the Christmas season is about what we call evangelism. And what that word means is simply the sharing of good news. The sharing of good news. That's what the angels came to share with the shepherds. Glad tidings of great joy. So much as of our lives, we have bad news, don't we? But there is glad tidings of great joy in the news of Jesus Christ. Not just his birth, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and extended and the, the privilege of this good news, of this gospel, of this message, has been entrusted to us, the saints of God. Us, those set apart in the Lord Jesus unto God, we have been given this gospel, and we together are the body of Christ. We together are the church, and our message, our mission is this good news. It's fascinating as you think about the Christmas account. The good news of Jesus was communicated to the shepherds by angels. But as we consider and look through the biblical model of evangelism and the continuing sharing of good news, God has chosen not to do it through His angels. He has chosen to do it through His church. And it is a vitally important subject the church is an important body. We are important in God's plan. We are the church. The church is not a building. Some of you get frustrated with me sometimes because you'll ask, are you at the church? And I always say, no, the church doesn't get here till Sunday. And, <clears throat> and so sometimes like, you know what I mean. And yes, yes, I, I know what you mean. I, I, I am in the church office or the church building, and sometimes people look at my kids weird because I intentionally try to add on that word building or add on that word office because I want to stress to myself because, you know, we, we take that for granted. I'm thrilled that you all take that for granted. But sadly, in different parts of the world, even in our own community, people do perceive church as buildings. Um, in fact, in certain parts of Europe, your big, beautiful churches are not churches. They're actually museums. There's no church in those buildings ever. It is simply a museum and a relic of religion of bygone eras. And so the building is not our church, is not the church, is not our church. The church is when the body of Christ, the separated, called-out body of Christ, is assembled together here in this place. And we have a special mission in continuing <clears throat> the message of the angels. We continue the message by declaring that, yes, indeed, unto us is born a Savior in the city of David, Bethlehem, Jesus Christ the Lord. And the church has the privilege and responsibility to proclaim this message to the world. We continue this morning, though it be the week before Christmas, on our topic and continuing our series on our church's statement of faith, on what we believe. And as we look at the next section of our church's statement of faith, we come to the church where we declare 
we believe that the local church is a group of called out, baptized believers, banded together by covenant for the purpose of worshiping God in spirit and in truth, for instruction in the word of God, for furthering the gospel around the world, for observing the ordinances, for prayer, and for Christian fellowship. And really, the whole New Testament could be listed as our reference for this, but we've chosen to list Matthew 28, verse 19, John 4, verse 24, and Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. Before we launch into our study this morning, let us seek our God and pray to Him to teach us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks to You that You are our God and that You are our Father. You are our Creator and You are our friend. We give thanks to You as we lift You up and exalt You. May we truly, both as an assembled body, worship You in spirit and in truth. And may we as individual members of Your body in all of the different places that You lead us throughout the days weeks, minutes of our lives, may we moment by moment worship you. As we look to your word, dear Spirit of God, teach us, illuminate us, help us to understand, and I also pray that you would help us to understand that we may obey, that we may live what we believe. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the head of your church you are the head of this body. You are the Savior of this body. And we rejoice in the good news, the glad tidings of great joy declared to those shepherds that a Savior was born in the city of David. You, Lord Jesus, are our Savior. And may we as your body, your church, go forth proclaiming this good news. We pray these things in your name. Amen the church. We have a mission. We have a purpose. This is obvious to all of us, I hope, to know that the church is not a club. We're not a country club. We're not some kind of a club, you know, <clears throat> the chocolate club or the chess club or the golf club or whatever club it might be. You might have a hunting club. Church isn't a club. The church is a body. The church, as we see in our statement of faith, is a group of people called out. That's really what the word church means. Ekklesia is the Greek word. We see on our exit sign, ex. That comes from Greek. It means to go out. That's the way out. The book of Exodus is called Exodus because it's the going out of Egypt. The ecclesia is a group of people here called out. That's the reason why this phrase is used in our statement of faith. It's not a membership in a club, but it is a membership in the body of Jesus Christ. We are called from the world. The world is full of people, and there's lots of different kinds of people. This called out group are not whites or blacks, for they are both. It doesn't matter what color you are, what race you are. You can be called out from any, any ethnicity. We all 
can be a part of this body. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be rich or poor. In fact, the cost for being a part of this body, the cost for being able to be called out is priceless. You could never pay it. You could never pay it. The membership dues, I think we have a Knollwood Country Club and there's a few other clubs in the area. And if you were to look at their prices, and I've never even been interested to even bother to look at their prices, but I hear that some clubs are exorbitantly expensive to join. Well, again, the church is not a club. Nonetheless, it is a called-out group, and it is an incredibly expensive to join. But every one of us can join for free, not because it didn't cost anything, but because Jesus Christ, the Savior of the body, paid all that needed to be paid so that we could be called out, so that we could be a part of his body, the church. It's an incredible privilege! You know, part of the reasons maybe why we confuse the church with clubs is because there's privileges in being a part of a club. Oh, the privileges of being united with Christ, of having our life hid with Him, of being able to be filled with all of the fullness of the Godhead. Oh, the privileges of being a part of the church. Uh, there's not even a single little tiniest comparison to the most luxurious country club. The church is the body of Christ. It is a group of people who have been called out. You see in our statement of faith, it's described as a group of people who are baptized believers. Baptized believers. The way that we join this church, the church of Jesus Christ, is by believing that Jesus died for my sins, was buried and rose again, and that Jesus alone can forgive me for my sins, Jesus alone can save me from my sin, and that Jesus alone can give me life. And we're talking about real life, abundant life, eternal life. And when that moment of belief occurs in an individual's life, that individual is baptized into Christ. That individual, you, if you this morning are a believer, were put, you were baptized, you were immersed, you were put into the body of Christ. You became a permanent member of the church of Jesus Christ with all of its rights and privileges. And the rights and privileges are being joint heir with Jesus Christ the eternal Son of God, united with Him. That's unbelievable! But that's what we have to believe to be a part of it. What a glorious truth it is. And when you see that in our statement of faith, that word baptized, you might say, wait a minute, you kind of explained that different than how I understood being baptized. Well, I did that intentionally because what we oftentimes associate as baptism of when a person is dunked in water either in a tank or in a lake or wherever, we, we refer to that as baptism. But it's vitally important for us, and we're going to come to this later, so I won't go spend a lot of time on it, but it's vitally important for us to recognize that water baptism is very important, and it's part of being a part of the local church. But that baptism is only a picture. It is only a symbol. It is only an illustration 
of the reality of us being dead in trespasses and sins, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, whereby we are buried with him by baptism into his death, whereby we are raised with him in life, newness of life, that we walk in newness of life. And so baptism that we see of water baptism is simply the illustration of one who was dead in trespasses and sins, being crucified with Christ, buried with him under the water, up out of the water, symbolizing that we are new creatures, that we have new life, and it is the life of the Lord Jesus in us. We believe that the local church, that's this, this group here, the local church is a group of called out baptized believers. Now, I'd like to take just a moment to comment on the word local. It's important for us to recognize that the church of Jesus Christ is worldwide, and it's not just at this moment of time. The body of Jesus Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, includes all believers from the time of Pentecost, there in the very shortly after, 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. From the day of Pentecost, continuing all the way through of true believers throughout history, including our time, and continuing into the future of when Jesus Christ will come in the clouds and catch up his church to be with him, ever present with him forever. And so the church is encompassing all of those people. But in the practical application and living of the church, it is manifested locally by congregations such as this. Congregations who are a part of that, what we call the universal church. Sometimes the word Catholic church is used there. And now I've just now opened a can of worms I need to explain. Why would we, we would shudder to think that we're a Catholics, but in one sense that word is appropriate to use. I remember one time, I'll illustrate this for you as a story. I had a situation where there was an individual who was a Roman Catholic, and she was actually very sincere in her faith and very determined that the Baptist she knew um, would, would convert to Catholicism. Uh, she was also so devout, she was very historical in this sense, and so when she saw me keep having children, uh, she was like, oh, you're the old-fashioned Catholics. She was excited by that. Some of you don't even know what that is. But she, this was a situation, and one day we were visiting in her home, and she says to me, Steve, when we all get to heaven, we're all going to be Catholics. And you're going to die when you hear what I said to her. I looked at her and I said, you're right. We'll all be Catholics. We just won't be Roman Catholics. <laughs> she was a good-spirited lady. She goes, oh, you got me. You see, the word Catholic means worldwide. It means universal. And so the word itself is a good word. And we've often associated it with the Roman Catholic Church. And that's kind of a sad misassociation of it. So we don't use that word because people automatically think Roman Catholic when they hear the word Catholic. But we are a part of the universal church. But we're also a part of the local church. And the local church is an important ministry and function of the body of Christ. Here described in our statement of faith as the group of, of baptized believers who are banded together by covenant. Our church has what we call a covenant. 
What is a covenant? A covenant is a promise. Later this morning, we're going to take some time to read it together. It's basically us looking and considering what we believe and promising to one another that this is what we believe and this is how we will live together as a banded together body of believers. Now, what is this church and why is the church? Well, we've seen what it is. The church is a called out group of individuals, baptized believers. That is the church. That's what the church is. But what's our purpose? Why did Christ say, I will build my church? Why is the church so important? Because we have a mission. We have a purpose. You know, you think of different clubs, groups, and oftentimes they, they have different purposes. I've heard that there's a chocolate club. I've, 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 I've wanted to join one. I, Harrison Elementary School had it, and they don't have it anymore, and I was kind of disappointed because that's, that's a club I would kind of like to join. <laughs> um, but what is the chocolate club? I haven't read their statement purpose or, or whatnot. I don't, I don't know what their purpose is. I imagine it has to do with... with eating chocolate. <laughs> so what is the church's purpose? What is our called out purpose? In our statement of faith, we have summarized it, and we're going to read it, but then we're going to look to the scriptures to see the basis of our statement of faith. Our purpose as we state that we believe in our church's statement of faith, is of worshiping God. In spirit and in truth. One, worshiping God. Two, for the instruction in the word of God. Three, for furthering the gospel, the good news around the world. For observing the ordinances, the ordinances being believer's baptism and communion or the Lord's Supper. For prayer and for Christian fellowship. This is our purpose. These are what ought to be our goals. And it is vitally important as the church moves forward in life that this purpose not be forgotten. There are many things that can distract us. And by the way, many good things, you know, like chocolate. But that can't be our focus. That can't be our focus. And we have to be alert in recalling and knowing what our purpose is. Because sometimes, I, I don't want to come across judgmental, but I want to say it the way it is. The church is not the church of Jesus Christ, but it is the church of something else. 
I'm reluctant to go in to start naming different things that are kind of churchy things, lest I step on toes or wrong toes and, and, and totally ignore other toes that should be stepped on, particularly our own. But we need to consider as we are gathered together, for what purpose? What's our purpose in gathering together? Again, there's nothing wrong for gathering together to make chocolate. You could even gather together to make chocolate to share a gospel track along with. See, there's lots of things that may continue on and be apart, but are we letting those things that are not our real purpose overshadow or overprioritize what needs to be our focus because it's our prescribed biblical purpose? So often, church is filled with activities as we plan activities, we must always keep in our minds, what is the purpose of this activity? And come back to the scriptures here to see what is our purpose. Again, I could go through and talk about a lot of things. One of the reasons, again, I hesitate to do that is because so often for us, it's easy for us to look outside at others and go, that, 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 and not see our own problems. And so I acknowledge that as I ask us together to say, where are we focused in the wrong place? And to encourage us all to consider what is our purpose. Again, worshiping God, the instruction in the Word of God, the furthering of the gospel around the world, the observing of ordinances, baptism and communion, for prayer, for Christian fellowship. These are our purposes. Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 4. Jesus is in this situation making a very high priority of going through a particular region, the region of Samaria. By the way, most Jews didn't do that. They took the long way around so they didn't have to go through Samaria. But Jesus said, we must needs go through Samaria. Had to. Why? Because he knew there was a woman there who needed to hear something, and praise God, that woman was there who needed to hear truth, and praise God, he has inspired and preserved that history so that we could learn from it. We don't have time this morning to go into all of the historical detail or the context of what took place in that conversation. I hope you know about it. It's the account of the woman at the well in Sychar where Jesus met with this woman. They had a lot of theological debates. Isn't that interesting? We have lots of theological debates nowadays. Sometimes, though, we call it politics, and sometimes we call it whatever. Ultimately, it's fascinating how it all comes back to theology. They had some discussions, and it was it, the way that Jesus handles many of the different discussions is brilliant. Well, at the time that this situ situation happened, the temple of Jerusalem was still there, and it was in the dispensation of the law of the Old Testament. And in that day, if you were to worship God, what Jesus says is true 
universally of all ages, but there was a particular significance to coming to Jerusalem to worship. And Jesus acknowledges that point to this woman who had her own little cultic Jewish religion of worshiping up there in Samaria. And he affirms, now, yes, salvation of the, of the Jews, the worship is in Jerusalem. But when he made that statement, he indicated there's about to be a very special change in this system. For he says in John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus says, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Notice that Jesus said that the time shall come and the time now is. The truth is, is that whenever you worship God, it must be, whether it was in the days of the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, or will be yet an eternal state future, it must be in spirit and in truth. But there's a change that's about to happen because what this worship focus and center of worshiping God in Jerusalem with animal sacrifices is about to change because the sacrifice of G, the Lamb of God once for all is about to change that. And Jesus says that we worship in spirit and in truth. One of the purposes of the called out body of baptized believers is to worship God. Just like baptism, just like the word church, the word worship is sometimes misunderstood. Sometimes people think that worship is singing. Just so you know, you can worship by singing. But worship in and of itself is simply this. I'm saying simply to be complicated because it's actually a glorious thing. But it is simply the lifting up of God. The lifting up of God. It was worship to declare glory to God in the highest. Why? Because He is God, is worthy of glory, honor, and majesty. He's the only one worthy of glory, honor, and majesty. And when we worship Him, we see him in that way, and we lift him up. Now, one of the incredibly profound things of this is, is that God is high and lifted up. How do I lift him any higher? I can't. Really, then, what worship is, is for me and my spirit, for me in truth, to see and to know and to acknowledge the glory of God, the greatness of God, the fame of God, His wonder, His majesty, His power. He who He is. And it is in spirit and in truth. It's not me by coming and offering sacrifices. It's not me coming and doing some kind of penance. It's not me going through some ritualistic list of prayers 
to worship is to exalt and to lift up and to acknowledge God for who He is. And He is great. He is glorious. It is in spirit and truth. It's from what is on the inside. Now, just to let you know, worship is in spirit and in truth, and if we are worshiping in spirit and truth, it's going to burst forth on the outside. That's where singing comes into play. That's where obedience to God comes into play. Worship begins, and it all is in the heart. And the truth of the matter is, none of us can obey God. None of us can please God. None of us can really honor God unless we are beginning by worshiping Him in spirit and in truth, knowing who He truly is, but not just knowing, acknowledging it, and in all of our being, lifting Him up in that position. These were the words of Jesus, and we continue in worship. It is vitally important for the called out, the church of Jesus Christ, to be worshiping God, lifting him up. The reason this is listed first in our statement of faith is because as things continue on, if we're not worshiping in spirit and in truth, we're just going through the motions. It has to begin with an exaltation of God in our spirit and not just our own opinion of God, but in what is true. And so we worship our, our purpose as this called out group of baptized believers is to worship God in spirit and in truth. Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, the very beginning early days of the church, where we find laid out very simply the truths communicated here as we continue on. What's our purpose? Again, our purpose is the worshiping of God in spirit and in truth, for the instruction in the Word of God, for furthering the gospel around the world, for observing the ordinances, for prayer, and for Christian fellowship. The instruction of the Word of God. Look with me at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. This is speaking of those who had just received the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what a glorious day it was of those who had received the Lord Jesus Christ. And Acts chapter 2, verse 42, really summarizes for us the purpose of the local church as it describes what they did. It says, and they continued. It doesn't mean they just gathered together once. They continued. It was an ongoing thing. They continued steadfastly, meaning it wasn't just some flippant thing. It was with earnestness and sincerity. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Here you see the most basic, simplistic summary of the purpose of the local church. The first one there of continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What is doctrine? Well, just lest you're confused, there's one reason why in our statement of faith it's tweaked a little bit. It's the instruction in the Word of God. The word doctrine means teaching. The key part of 
the church is the teaching, the instruction in the Word of God. Remember, as we've continued or began our series on what we believe, the first topic we looked at was about this book, the Word of God. This book is our foundation and basis, and one of the primary purposes of the local church and the assembling together of the church is the teaching, the instruction in the Word of God. Why is this important? Because in the Word of God are the wonderful words of life. The Scripture declares itself as wonderful words of food, whereby we eat and find sweetness. The Scriptures are declared to be in food in such a way of nourishment that without them we cannot live. In fact, Jesus Christ is manifested through the Word and even chose to refer to himself as a title of being the Word, the Word made flesh. This is a primary and vitally important part of our lives as a church. And I don't mean also just on Sundays. In our own personal lives, our relationship with our God through his Word and Holy Spirit is vitally important individually as individual members of the body of Christ, as individual families, as even little subgroups. Our gathering together needs to very much have this at the center and in the focus. And again, not just as some rote, routine, flippant thing, but as a sincere seeking for this to direct and change our lives. This is done in the assembly of the church in many different ways, and we must keep it as a priority, as a focus. It is continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. It is the instruction in the Word of God. Now, our statement of faith jumps right from this to another command that's inferred here in Acts chapter 2, but is not explicitly stated. Well, it's actually kind of incredible because it's kind of, I say that it's inferred, it's the gospel spreading, the evangelization of the world. It's the spreading of the gospel to the world. And what we actually see happening is that that's what happens before and after verse 42, is evangelism. And it's commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ if you take your Bibles and turn with me to the last chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, we find that a commission has been given to the church. Remember, the angels that night on the hillside of Bethlehem proclaimed the glad tidings, that's the gospel, to the shepherds. It is our privilege and it is the church's responsibility to continue to spread those glad tidings around the world. Jesus said, Matthew 28, verse 18, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You see, here we have the church being sent forth to go. 
Now, the church itself is an assembly of baptized believers. Now, we got to be careful about thinking we're some kind of little club. In fact, New Testament teaches us repeatedly that we assume there are unbelievers among us. We're to conduct and behave ourselves anticipating that there are unbelievers among us. Now, some of this might surprise some of you, but there are unbelievers here present today. It's very important for us to recognize that. People don't just automatically become a part of the church. You have to be a believer to join the church. And we have a responsibility to be sharing the gospel, both with those who are here present on believing and also to be going and sharing the gospel. Going and sharing the good news, making disciples, teaching, teaching those who believe on Jesus, who are baptized, to observe what Jesus has commanded. It's all tied together. This is very important for us, collectively as a church, as well as us as individuals. There needs to always be a focus of sharing good news and of teaching those who receive the good news to observe, that is to see, know, understand, and obey what Jesus has commanded. We call that discipleship or making disciples. Evangelism and discipleship is a key part of the local church. And may I say, the individual lives of believers. You all are gathered here together. And later today, you will scatter across Michiana. You will scatter across Michiana, and you will be the representatives of the body of Christ. And in those places, you have the privilege and the responsibility to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, these glad tidings, to be seeking to make disciples. Please begin in your homes. Continue to your family, to those you know, to those you work with, and don't forget the strangers. And even you may go out of your way. May I say you not just may go out of your way? Please do go out of your way to share the gospel with every creature. Some are called to go across the world, perhaps you, to share and to reach people, to share these glad tidings. As a church, we have these responsibilities. As individuals, we have these responsibilities. There are different ways of doing it, different ways of doing it, but it all comes back to, are we doing it? Beginning as individuals and then as church. This afternoon, we have a wonderful opportunity of sharing good news. As you came in, you may have seen those baskets with all those little goodie baskets inside. This afternoon, our plan is not to have an afternoon service here, but to go across just two blocks away, right over there on Western Avenue to a health and rehab center where we want to carol and sing, and we want to pass out treats. And in those treats are little gospel tracts. In our countenance, in our words, we want to be proclaiming and sharing the glad tidings of Jesus. This is just one way of it being done as a smaller group of the church, you might say, or the whole church together of reaching this group of people. It ultimately, though, begins with you and I individually and personally being bold in the sharing of the gospel. Because if we start there, we will continue to spread in the excitement of it and we'll reach so much more. It's why, as our church, we support missionaries, an extension broader to be able to have the glad tidings, this furthering of the gospel around the world. This isn't done by simply voting for a budget that supports missionaries. 
that, or putting money in the offering that is a budget supporting missionaries or a designated gift for missions. Yes, that's important, but it is so much more important that we are engaging in it personally in the relationships that we have and that we are supporting more than just with money and also more than just prayer, but in true earnest support of those we support to further the gospel around the world. Turning back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the apostles and those who were there in the early church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And it tells us here that they also did in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Our statement of faith declares that the purpose is the observing of ordinances. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we're going to spend special time on it as our statement of faith actually continues and deals with both the topic of believers' baptism and the Lord's Supper. And then also for prayer. Prayer is very, very, very important, again, beginning individually and continuing as a church. You know, we, we don't just have prayer in the time when pastor leads in prayer or when we have the afternoon services dedicated to prayer. We need to be always and continually praying. Can I offer a suggestion to you? As you share your week and as you share the joys and you share your burdens with one another, whether it's in the mingling time or over the dinner table, will you take time to stop and pray? Let's continue in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. All of that our purposes are, we're going to get in major trouble if we start going on with them not seeking the power of God, which is received when we ask. When we ask, when we talk to our God and petition Him, praise Him, worship Him, and thank Him. Let us continue in prayer and in Christian fellowship. This one also needs a whole sermon. Fellowship, just as a newsflash, is not eating food together. Well, you can kind of sort of have fellowship in that time, but it's a whole lot richer. It's a whole lot deeper. And really, fellowship encompasses everything that we have just learned about of our purposes. There is fellowshipping around the Word of God. There is fellowshipping in worship. There is fellowshipping in the gospel. There is fellowship in the observing of the ordinances. There is fellowship in prayer. There's fellowship in suffering. There's fellowship in trials. There is so much fellowship in which we spend time together encouraging one another as we continue together in this journey as members of the body of Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as as these baptized believers. Will we today glory in the church of Jesus Christ? What does that mean? Well, it is to rejoice in the wonderful privilege we have as individuals to be a part of something this awesome. The church of Jesus Christ. It is to glory and to rejoice and to give thanks 
in that we have such an incredible purpose in life. So often we get discouraged because we lack purpose. That's not God's fault. That's my fault. That's our fault. We need to see and know that God has purpose for us and for us to worship Him. And as we worship Him in spirit and in truth, He will fill us with His Spirit and He will accomplish His purposes through us. And so it is for us to yield to Him, to worship Him, and allow Him to complete His good works through us. That's how these purposes are done. And we together join together as a body. The beginning of our statement of faith here regarding the church says that we believe that the local church is a group of called out, baptized believers, banded together by covenant. I'd like you to take your hymnals and turn to the back of them where we have printed a copy of our church covenant. So it's not exactly on the backpack page, but it's just right here. It's a sticker put in there. Some of you, I believe all of you should have it, but there's some hymnals I've discovered don't all have it. Would you stand with me, and would you, together with me, read this in unison? In coming weeks, we're going to take some time to go through this a little more specifically and intently to understand the biblical significance behind the wording of this. But I'd like for us to just take some time here to consider the words of this covenant that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ and have joined together as a body here in a local church. Would you read it together with me in unison? Having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God, to receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior, and on the profession of our faith, having been baptized into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant with one another, as one body in Christ. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort, to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We also engage to maintain family and secret devotions, to religiously educate our children, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment, to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger to abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We further engage to watch over one another 
in brotherly love, to remember one another in prayer, to aid one another in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and courtesy in speech, to be slow to take offense, to always ready for reconciliation, and mindful of the rules of our Savior, to secure it without delay. And we moreover engage that when we move from this place, we will, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you to be part of the body of Christ. We rejoice in this privilege. May we recognize its significance, and I pray for myself, for my brothers and sisters here this morning, that each one of us would live in the reality of being a member of your body, and that you might be glorified by your church, through your church, that we might worship you, not in outward ritual or motions, but in sincerity and truth from our spirit. I pray that we would be faithful and engaging to proclaim your gospel, your glad tidings, your good news to all those in this world, that we might make that a priority and an effort in our daily lives. Lord, I pray that you would give us all a thirst and a hunger for your word and that we would continue steadfastly in the teaching of your word, both in hearing it, sitting under the teaching, and also doing it. Lord Jesus, help us to be teachers, disciples of your word in the different ways in which you have called us. I pray that we would continue steadfastly in prayer praying one for another, praying for the purposes that you want to accomplish through us, praying for laborers to be sent forth into your field, white unto harvest, that we would be faithful and that we would continue steadfastly in such prayer. I pray that you would teach us what true fellowship means, that you would give it to us, that we as your family, we as your children, might walk together in unity with a common purpose and a common goal, for we are one in you, Christ Jesus. Sanctify us through your word, and may we be one even as you, Lord Jesus, dear Heavenly Father, are one. Lord, we pray that as we continue in the ordinances, declaring in these symbols what you have done for us spiritually, we pray that others might see Others might believe, and we might then continue in discipling them for your glory. May we continue in these things, and may you be glorified through us. May you be lifted up. May you be exalted, and we know you can't be lifted any higher than you are, for you are so high and far above all. But yet, Lord, I pray in our hearts and in our spirits, you would have your proper place and be high and above all. May we go forth rejoicing and trusting in you, knowing you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.